truth for godly living. This morning we looked at Paul's work and encouragement for the purposes of God's elect. And we looked at verse 1 and we continue as we look, we read, we say, It's Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. So this evening we want to look at the establishment of the truth that leads to godliness. This summer, I um, decided to plant some seeds uh, with my son in the garden. We thought, hey, we'll grow some potatoes, some strawberries, and um, I don't know, corn and all sorts of things, right? We strategically planted in three different areas. One area wasn't too far from where the tap was. Uh, and so we cultivated it. We put you know, the greenhouse there. Great. Another area slightly further on. Did the same thing again. Another third area, further down to the garden, we planted, hoping that we would one day get plant and fruit. Now, the hose pipe um, can only reach up to that second segment, right? So for the first couple of weeks, you know, we'd go along to the third one with a can and water it. After a while, it became a bit tedious. So I, I thought I'll start, start to shoot in the hose pipe from a bit further back. I thought I could land it in. Yeah, the shot was great, you know. But I became lazier and lazier and lazier. To the stage that I only watered the first part and the second part. But guess which area grew? Which plant grew? Only one and number two. Because I didn't persist in watering that third area. It was all going well, but not much plants had grown and certainly there was no fruit. I gave up on that third area. See, preaching the gospel, gospel to people is only the beginning. That's what Paul is saying. It's only the beginning. We mustn't stop at working, at sharing the gospel and presenting the gospel. It's living water that never runs dry. It's, it's not lazy like I was in terms of reaching that third segment. When we continue to preach the gospel of God, God works in the heart of people. But it's not just bringing them to faith, but also for the establishment of the faith and for them to grow. And so conversion is only the start, but like the seeds and the plants, they need, continuously, they need to be continuously watered. And so new converts and all true believers require spiritual nourishment. And so this is our first point this evening. Faith that rests on the truth. Paul knew that even though we can be used as God's instrument in sharing the gospel with others, our faith and those who are converted must continue to grow. Uh, team Tim Chester writes this um, in his book, Titus, for you. He says, The goal of God's servants is the faith of God's elect. The beginning of faith as people become Christians. The continuation of faith as people remain Christians. 
the progress of faith as people grow as Christians, and then the multiplication of faith as people themselves become servants for the faith of God's elect. And so that's such a wonderful and clear explanation of how our faith should be growing. The progression from conversion of a person to a disciple and to godly fruit that leads to multiplication of faith. That's that progression. The seeds I mentioned earlier were, were, grow, were sown to, to grow, to become a plant and to become fruits. And so those fruits eventually grow to a stage where they also produce fruit, um, seeds, which can start the process again. So what faith are we talking about here? What faith should be growing in the life of a Christian? Many Christians observe faith as believing in an historical truth about Jesus, that yes, he existed, uh, about the historical life of Christ. And, but the thing is, you can believe about Christ. You can believe that Christ lived as a man. You can even believe that he died on a cross. You can believe that he was resurrected but still not have faith, true faith. True faith will bear good fruit. It will, will bear godly fruit. The hallmark of the gospel working in the body of Christ is how godly brothers and sisters are. Faith is not ignorance. It's not a lack of knowledge or a lack of information. Faith always involves itself itself knowing the object of that faith it doesn't just stop i've arrived it persists it continues it has desires a christian should have a desire to continue to know our savior jesus christ so our faith is not in attending church almost as if it's a club that we do religious activities God prunes and shapes us to have godly character as we grow in knowing God and knowing his people. And so we are in a church, a body of Christ, to know the living God and through that know one another that we may grow in godly ways to each other and also to be witness to the world. So faith rests in knowing the true living God and his son Jesus Christ who is sent to redeem sinners. In order to believe and trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, we need to know Christ. To continue to believe and to trust him involves the same thing. It doesn't stop. Each day, growing in knowing the word of God. I've been married almost 12 years now, and I'm reminded when we started the journey, we were told to dwell according to knowledge with your wife. And I thought, I thought I knew my wife, that I'm still growing to know my wife. My wife is still getting to know me. There's never an, a stage of arrival. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. How much more, our Lord, our God, that we must continue to know him. I like John Calvin's definition of faith. It says, faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's goodwill towards us, a knowledge which is founded on the truth of his gracious promise in Christ. 
revealed in our understanding and sealed upon our heart by the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a firm and certain knowledge to understand, to know the living God. That's the grace that's presented to us. When we hear the gospel, our eyes are open. There is a sense, ah, this is the Lord. When Paul, on that way to Damascus, he said, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what is going on? He he understood. Though he's, he's blinded, but he knew there was a confirmation that this is the Lord Jesus before. There's an element of knowledge. But it speaks here a knowledge of God's goodwill, to know God's grace for us, towards us, meaning that we do not deserve this, to understand that we do not deserve the grace that has been afforded and given to us and lavished upon us. It is founded on the truth of his gracious promise in Christ. We need to reflect often on the fulfilled promises in Christ, that Christ fulfills all promises, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And finally, the Holy Spirit reveals this understanding and seals it in our hearts. And so we must, we, we must examine, first of all, what knowledge are we talking about here? What knowledge is Paul mentioning here? It says, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. We see firstly that grace was initiated and is initiated by God. And God initiates grace for our salvation and faith. When we look at verse 211, where we read earlier on, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So the grace of God also not just initiates salvation, but continues to sustain salvation and faith. Why? To renounce ungodliness and to live godly lives. So what knowledge does Paul want every believer of Christ to know? See, the Greek word here is epignosis, which is used 20 times in the New Testament. It differs from other uses of this word in the Bible. And the use often in the pastoral epistle is quite linked to that conversion event when someone comes to Christ. And so please turn with me to 1 Timothy 2.4. So across the page, 1 Timothy 2.4, which says this. I'll read from verse 3. This is good and this is pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you turn again to 2 Timothy 2.24, to 25 which says this and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth here's that word again that God may perhaps grant them the repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. This use here of knowledge is to say that all true believers in Christ need the precise and correct knowledge of the truth. It's so vital 
for the growth of any Christian to know the gospel, the true gospel. So your faith and my faith cannot grow and cannot be healthy and cannot bear fruit unless it's keeping with godliness. We can't be godly without precise, correct knowledge of the good news of Christ. Without this, our understanding of God will be skewed. We wouldn't understand why and how God continues to sanctify us. For many years, my walk in the Lord was stagnated. I was backsliding. Why? Because, firstly, the, the gospel where I was wasn't being preached, but I didn't know that. I didn't know the gospel wasn't being presented to me because I myself did not desire to grow in the gospel. Because if I did, then my ears, by the help of the Spirit of God, would acknowledge that this is not the gospel. I knew God intellectually because I grew up in the church. I could speak Christianese. I knew how to talk but not walk the walk. I lived a certain way on a Sunday but lived differently during the week. My walk became, I was backsliding day by day. And sometimes I served in the church thinking that I was doing God's work. But God's work was often a work-based thing for me to try and please the Lord. Seeking as an usher when others weren't there on time, thinking, what are they doing? They're not taking God seriously. Why are they late? Happened here half an hour before they arrived. All in the name of, I was working to try to please God rather than trusting in God and growing in the knowledge of the gospel for that to influence my work. See, when the truth of God is not taught, it causes believers to grow in a skewed way. See, orthodoxy is the only and right way to orthopraxis. What we practice must be in line with what we know. What we know changes us to live righteously before God. Does this mean that we must have perfect understanding of the gospel to live godly lives? Not necessarily, but there must be growth. Does it mean that conflict will never come to test our faith? No. Does it mean that we'll never doubt the promises of God's salvation? No. What Paul is helping us to see here is that growing and knowing the gospel and having it at our heart, the heart of preaching, the heart of teaching, reading God's word, studying God's word, learning, will influence how we live. See, where our Christian duty does not match with the sound doctrine that we do know, it's an opportunity to address certain things. Sometimes we struggle to pray. We need to ask, what is our knowledge of prayer? What do we know about prayer? Do we really understand prayer? It's an opportunity to address certain things. Why should I pray? What prayers God answers? The more we grow in the knowledge of God's truth and are reminded of the gospel, Jesus' divine power grants to us all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, the issue for many Christians is two things. We either do not know the gospel or we do not refresh ourselves often in the gospel. As we said this morning, 
we easily forget the gospel. We need to be soaked and drenched in the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. Sometimes you, you leave church and you are tested immediately when you're driving or someone you come in contact with. The very thing that you have been so wonderfully you know, built up and, and your faith has been so charged and you are so excited and then you face something different on a Monday morning to test you. We are often reminded that when we sin, it's because we forget the gospel. What do I mean by we forget the gospel? Sometimes we lose touch of our sinfulness. We, we don't often consider how much of a sinner that we are. We don't reflect enough on that. It doesn't mean that we wallow in our sin, but we must acknowledge that Actually, this very sin that we've done is huge before the eyes of God. Sometimes we make excuses for our sins. We just say, well, kind of, it's not as bad as that person. Or actually, I am growing. We must still present these things before the Lord to help us so that we don't engage in those sins. As we read earlier, the training that goes on to godliness, which we'll talk about later. We don't often reflect on what it took for Jesus to come to this sin-stained world to rescue us. How much he, it cost him his life on the cross for us. We don't reflect on that enough. And so the gospel transforms us. It goes beyond what we know intellectually and our scent. It pierces our heart. It changes our heart. It washes us, sanctifies us. It gives us strength to live this new creation life. We're a new creation when we come to Christ. But each day, it's an opportunity to show that we are a new creation, to live in a godly way. We forget God's goodness. That's why we sin. We sin because we don't know God's grace. Do we appreciate God's grace and goodness in our Lord Jesus Christ to us? We forget God's grace. And this is why we must hear the gospel time and time again. In fact, the Bible says sometimes we deny God's grace. And this is what they did in Crete. Chapter 1.16 says... They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We never deny God's grace. We do not hold firmly to the gospel. Chapter 1-9 says this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict him. We may say, well, that's just for the elder, but that's for every Christian to hold firm to the trustworthy word taught, to hold firm to the grace of God, to hold firm to the gospel. And so how does our faith grow? This is our second point. Faith grows by the truth. Titus has been left here in Crete as a young pastor. 
seeking to serve the law, seeking to, he's received the baton from Paul, as we said this morning. And he's seeking to make the gospel front and center. And so chapter 1 verse 5 makes it clear that Titus was left there so that he might put in order what remained, what remained into order. That is to put in order what was lacking. The church required organization. They needed leadership. They needed sound doctrine for them to grow in their faith. They needed to know the gospel at the backdrop of all that was going on, the foolishness, the greed, the empty talking, false teachers of the land. They needed to know the true gospel so that they could discern what was false and then live in the righteous way before the Lord. The church needed to grow in communion with God. See, often as Christians, we are concerned about our union as almost like could lose my faith you hear some people say that or like just worry that sense of like oh what have I done again but what we should really be worried about is our communion with God how we live on a daily basis that's the mark where am I today that's how we we work out our salvation with fear and trembling that's how am I living today if Jesus was to come today would he be pleased with my works with what I'm doing with how I'm living of my thirst for righteousness? Do I live holy before him? Do I long to be with him? This should be our concern. If you have no desire to be with the Lord, to commune with God, that's a red flag. That's something that needs to be dealt with. I've said this before that Often it can be difficult sometimes to come to the Bible because there are many things and hurdles that sometimes come in our way. But if there's no desire when you get there and you, don't, and you aren't amazed by Scripture and what the Lord has done, it's a red flag. If, it, if you don't see the wonder of Christ and his salvation, it's a red flag. If you have no desire to read his word, it's a red flag. So Paul is mapping out a pattern for Titus, for the church at Crete and us today to follow the course of his gospel ministry, which is the truth of Christ that leads to godliness. The preaching of God's word, the teachings, study, discussion of God's word must move us to godliness. It must be a renewal of our mind a change in our behaviour. And so sound teaching will invariably lead to godly practice as people seek to honour the Lord. The truth of the gospel has the power to present us holy and blameless before God as the Holy Spirit opens up hearts and minds to see God. When we see God, it can only lead us to live a godly life. When we see God's holiness and his character when we begin to know more and more and he reveals to us who he is. He makes us like him. The same truth that brings us to faith sustains us and leads us to godliness. What do we mean by godliness? Godliness is the worship that is worthy of God. It is the true religion that is at home, at work, in your community, at church, wherever you are. 
living for the glory of God, giving God the worship that he deserves, that he is worthy of. How should this knowledge of the truth lead us to godliness? Well, the letter to Titus teaches us there are four main categories as we we were studying this morning. Godliness within the church. Church leadership is so vital and this is what Paul was saying and he says it in Timothy and it's to Timothy and he says it again to Titus here. An unbiblical church leadership undermines the structure and growth of believers. Where leaders are ungodly, where they live ungodly lives, when they preach things that are not according to the gospel, sadly it leads to vile practices amongst members of the church. The preaching of God's word is crucial. It must have the gospel at its centre. See, doing good to the members of the household, showing hospitality is part of godliness. Giving God his true worth. Embracing one another as Christ has embraced us. Loving one another. Opening our lives to one another as God has opened himself up to us. He's given us all. He's given us his life. So, Paul encourages Titus to form godly relationships. Older men, older, older women, young men, young women, to continue to cultivate relationships that are honouring the Lord. There's godliness within the home. Fatherhood. Being a father, being present. Leading your home. Family devotion. Creating time. Where sometimes there is no time. Making the gospel a priority in your home is so, so crucial. We need God's grace. Motherhood, same. Husbands and wives working together to ensure that their home is saturated with the gospel. We need to worship the Lord, each and every one of us, to be devoted to him. There are ways in our lives where We mustn't just rely on past experiences or past knowledge of God's word. We must come always to his word. The lenses in which we come to God's word is so important. Lord, teach me what you want me to know in your word. Change me. Maybe there's things in the word we've been been taught differently. We need to ask the spirit of God to change that. Godliness within the community. Do your neighbours know that you are Christian? Do they know that you serve God? Do they know that you attend church? Have you invited them to church? I'm guilty of this. People that are around us, we must stick out like a sore thumb. We must do. Like a sore thumb. For Christ, for the sake of Christ. People must know on our street that we are different. There's things we don't do. That we live for Christ. That we are godly people. Are you conforming to the world? Are you conforming to Christ's likeness? Do you consider is your life different in any way from those that are around? Our friends. Sometimes they'll say you're judging us. You might not even say anything. But your life should speak that you are for Christ. That you're in the kingdom. See, godliness within ourselves, character, integrity, our yes be our yes. 
Our nose, our no, our tongue. The things that we do, how we approach our work, how we serve God, how we are ambassadors even when we're at work. The people see that we are different, that we are godly, that we don't cut corners, that when those uh, extra medications arrive, do we keep them or do we call up the wholesaler and say, we've received something extra? Even when the workers say, why are you not keeping it? It's free. We must set an example. We must be devoted. Pray, pray. Our prayer life must grow. It must continue to grow. When we appreciate what God has done for us, where he's given us the opportunity to come to speak to him, we mustn't take that for granted. We do because we've, we, sometimes it's difficult, like, God, where are you almost? We ask. God hears them. God hears He wants us to come to him. He bids us to come. He moves on prayers that are according to his will. God wants us to live in purity, to have a pure life, a life that seeks to honour him in what we look at, in how we live, what we allow to enter into our ears and our hearts. It's so important to be pure before the Lord. So as we grow in godliness, each member of the body of Christ grows to do the work they are meant to do. This is a wonderful thing. The body of Christ works together to do the work they're meant to do. Then it's a case of growth together. There is strength. There is wisdom. The Lord grants and honours his church and his body when everyone's playing their part as they seek to live godly before the Lord. We become zealous for good works that flow from and is rooted in the gospel. Not the other way around. Not just working, working, working to, for God to be pleased with us, but rather because of our knowledge of the truth, because we know what God has done for us, we seek to serve him. And so true faith is never without works. True faith grows by knowing Jesus and trusting in his finished work on the cross. True faith presses on to live the godly life that Jesus lived perfectly. We're reminded by Paul in Philippians 3, 14, who says, I press on toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a pressing on. There's a training involved for godliness. There is work that's involved in godliness. The Bible says, train yourself unto godliness. The Bible says that those who are mature, growing in knowing Christ, should think this way, to press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, hold firm to what you know. Hold firm to what Christ has attained in you. Hold true to that faith Christ has worked in you and seek to grow to know him more. That I may know him. To know him, to know his word. To know him crucified on the cross. To die to ourselves. To know also his resurrection. That we have been given a new life. A life that pertains to life and godliness. Let's continue to know and trust in him. 
See, your knowing Christ doesn't have to be perfect for you to live an upright and godly life. What God does ask is for us to press on. Press on in the face of challenges. Press on the fact that we do sin and we are sinners. To press on knowing it's him that's helping us to. Never giving up. Always looking to him for help. The Bible says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Whatever is lacking in us. Whatever is difficult for us that's causing us not to walk in a godly way. The Lord provides grace for the grace he's already supplied. He sustains us by his grace. So how should we live? How does this apply to us this evening? The grace of God, when it appeared, it brought salvation. The grace of God has brought salvation. Jesus has brought salvation to many. And so to turn from sin, he grants grace. He opens eyes. And so we must seek him each day. If we're not living righteously and honorably before the Lord, to turn away from our sins and to turn to him, to look to him. To receive that free grace of God that brings salvation. If you're a believer here today, my encouragement to you is don't rest solely on what you knew or known when you were converted. Sometimes it's so easy to, especially when you've grown up in the church. We rely on things and knowledge of old. We must come fresh to God's word. Be renewed by his word. Be refreshed. Be strengthened each day. Saying that, I don't know much. Lord, teach me. What's your word saying to me? Help me to grow. The Bible says we must take heed. Anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls. We must never be comfortable with where we are at with the Lord. We must always seek to grow on a daily basis. If we're not growing, we're only regressing. There is no stagnation. There is no kind of staying on the shelf. It catches up with us. See, godliness requires daily discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 6-7 reminds us that a good servant of Christ must be trained by the words of faith. Gospel truths. The godliness requires training. There is effort. There is... It's difficult to read a word this morning, but I know the importance of it. I know what it does. I know what my Jesus has done for me. We must train our minds, not by our own strength, but asking the Lord to equip us with everything that we need. Because we must be ready on a daily basis for the warfare that we face. We don't know who we come in contact with that we need to share the gospel with. And if, if we're not constantly in God's word and refreshed, like we said earlier, we do forget the gospel. Those opportunities where it should just be just coming out of our mouths and just, just sharing the love of Christ and what he's done and his justice. Sometimes we miss those opportunities because we're not sometimes in the right place on a daily basis. See, our relationships are training grounds. 
our jobs, our training grounds, our community, our training ground for godliness. The Lord is sanctifying us with all those things. He's saying that those things, when you face things at work that are so difficult, that's a moment for sanctification. What's the Lord trying to teach me through this? The Lord trying to mould godliness in my heart to live and to also be a witness for him there. And so we don't respond in the same way as others would do. Godliness is helpful in this life, but not just in this life and beyond. It speaks of a hope of eternity. Godliness holds great value because it pertains to eternal promises of God. We need the fear of God. The fear of God is missing from our lives. To know that God is present wherever we are at. When we know that sin is so difficult to do when you know God is right there before you, but sadly we put God, God to the side. We put him to the side. He said, hold on, let me do this. That's how sin creeps in. Our desires are then enticed. Are you finding it a challenge to live a godly life? Are you finding it difficult to commune with God? The true answer is to grow in knowing the truth. The truth of God that sanctifies. The truth of God that refreshes us. The truth of God that provides us just so much strength that we need for each day to live boldly in this world that's so, so dark. To live boldly in, in the face of difficulty. We are living in times that are okay, if we're being honest. It, they, they will only get worse. And so we need, need to cultivate and train ourselves onto godliness. So we finish on this. The gospel which has been given by the grace of God through Jesus. When this grace of God, that is Jesus, appeared, he brought salvation for all people. He trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It starts with grace. It continues with grace. Grace sustains us. Grace of God be with us. Amen. Amen.